morning, church. This morning's scripture lesson is from Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 29 through the 12th chapter, verse 2. And I'm reading from the Common English Bible Translation. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as if they were on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried it, they were drowned. By faith, Jericho's walls fell after the people marched around them for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute wasn't killed with the disobedient because she welcomed the spies in peace. What more can I say? I would run out of time if I told you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms, brought about justice, realized promises, shut the mouths of lions, put out raging fires, escaped from the edge of the sword, found strength in weakness, were mighty in war, and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured and refused to be released so they could gain a better resurrection. But others experienced public shame by being taunted and whipped. They were even put in chains and in prison. They were stoned to death. They were cut in two. They died by being murdered with swords. They went around wearing the skins of sheep and goats, needy, oppressed, and mistreated. The world didn't deserve them. They wandered around in deserts, mountains, caves, and holes in the ground. All these people didn't receive what was promised, though they were given approval for their faith. God provided something better for us so they wouldn't be made perfect without us. So then, with endurance, let's also run the race that is laid out in front of us, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let's throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that trips us up, and fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter. He endured the cross, ignoring the shame for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him and sat down at the right side of God's throne. This is the word of the Lord. So, in spite of my education, I am not a professional minister, um, which means that I work a regular 40 an hour, hour a week job. And typically when I get up here to speak to you, I will write my, my message on Saturday and then get up early on Sunday and um, clear it up. <laughs> I had a better word <laughs> that has escaped my brain, which you'll understand in a minute. Uh, but as it turns out, we had a big wedding yesterday that I had entirely forgot about. So I didn't get any writing done until this morning. Also, we didn't get, I didn't, I didn't get to bed until like 1.30. So I'm working on very little sleep, which is to say, I don't know exactly what's about to come out. Um, could be rough. Don speaks truth. Um, so with that, please pray with me. Dear God, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word, um, even when it makes us feel weird. And we just pray that you would help us 
to understand better what you're saying to us today. And we pray that you'd be with us in this moment and that you would let the words that come out of my mouth be the words that you would have us hear today. In your name, amen. So, quick quiz for everybody. When I say October 31st, what do you think? Now, if I say October 31st and you were raised a Lutheran, what do you think? No, it's... Reformation Day! Thank you very much. You see, in 1517, I got my master's in historical theology, so I'm going to geek out on you for a minute. I'm sorry, it's what's going to happen. Um, so in 1517, the Pope at the time, Pope Leo X, who I think would make a really great rapper name, to be like Pope, be Pope Leo X, I think would be a great rapper name. So Pope Leo X decides that the thing that he really needs in life, besides being Pope, is another palace. And so what he decides, so the way that he decides he's going to pay for this palace is to sell these things called indulgences. Now indulgences are essentially credits to get out of purgatory earlier. They have more in common with junk bonds than with any sort of theological reality. But being that it was 1517 and most people were largely illiterate and deeply, deeply superstitious, this worked out for him. So he gathered himself a whole series of door-to-door -door salesmen, essentially, and sent them out across Europe to sell indulgences. Around October of 1517, this one salesman ends up in Wittenberg, Germany, which just happens to be where there's a monastery and there's this guy named Martin Luther is the Bible teacher there. Um, and Martin Luther, being a good monk at the time, goes and listens to this guy's spiel because he is an emissary of the Pope, and so, you know, you're going to listen to the guy. Um, and there's not really another option other than, like, dying. Um, and so he goes and he listens, and this guy gives the whole spiel, X number of francs, and you get out of purgatory a year earlier, five years earlier, whatever, right? But Martin is also a Bible instructor, and he happens to be at that point in time researching the book of Romans um, and reading about how salvation is by grace alone and by faith alone. And so Martin sits there in his little cubicle and his little thing that I can't remember the name of right now um, and thinks to himself, this, this indulgence thing, this thing is a big steaming pile of poo. And so Martin goes about doing what academics for all of time have always done when they realize that somebody is selling poo. He writes a strongly worded essay. <laughs> and he takes this essay and he nails it to the door of the monastery there in Wittenberg. Now, if he'd been living in 2017, he would have put it up on Medium and like five people would have read it and they would have retweeted it and it would have been fine. But he puts it up on the door where all the other monks can read it. And because of technological changes within the region at that point in time, this guy, Gutenberg, lived there just shortly before that, um, who created the movable type printing machine. Um, this essay ends up getting re replicated, and lots of people read it, and thus starts the period known as Reformation, the Reformation period. And he nails this thing on October 31st, 1517, which is the connection there. Um, and so this Reformation time starts spreading all throughout Europe. It goes to Sw Switzerland first, and then Austria, I think it's in that order. Um, and then 
It, they, they try to take root, tries to take root in France, it doesn't really work out there. And it jumped over to the Netherlands, and, and then it jumps the channel and ends up in England, but that was a little weird because you had Henry and the wives and the whole thing. It was really odd, so odd that they got a PBS show, a Showtime show, and a Broadway play out of it. it but the core of this whole thing is a large number of people stopping and thinking, what does it mean to be a person of faith now? What does it mean? It, it does, can the Pope just wholeheartedly come up with a theological concept or not? What does it mean to be a person of faith? And, it, and so there's this whole reformation period, but these things keep happening. And so you end up with the revival period where we have, have the Methodist revivals in England. Then it jumps the ocean because there's now people, now Europeans in North America. And we end up with the first great awakening, the second great awakening. We have the holiness revivals. Uh, and all of this time, it's churning. It's people rethinking, what does it mean to be a person of faith right now? And it keeps happening. And then we end up with things like the civil rights movement, which was, believe it or not, a church-based movement. And not just amongst black churches, but there were a significant number of white churches stopping and thinking, what is our relationship to race, and how does that interact with our faith? And we have that, and then we end up with like the Jesus People movement, and then we ended up with the Televangelist movement. We really took a couple steps back with that one. And, and then even recently, like in the early aughts, we had the Emergent Movement, which was a whole series of people saying, what does it mean to live simply in faith? And then it got commercialized and screwed up. But essentially, that's what it was. And then in the last four or five years, we've had this thing called the Deconstruction Movement and where people are, are starting to sort of lop off portions of the faith that they grew up in, largely because of the televangelist region, per, period, um, and saying, what does it mean? What is the core basics of being a person of faith now? And all of these things, this whole long line of history, is just people stopping and rethinking what does it mean to be a person of faith now? And that's just the last 500 years. There were a whole bunch before that. I didn't even talk. There's a guy named John Huss that you should look up. He was amazing. He lived in Prague in the 1400s. I will remember my history. But there's a whole period of just this thing. It keeps happening. Periods where groups of Christians and people of faith come together and I start saying, what needs to happen to make faith real now today? And that brings us to our scripture, which was really long. George, you did a great job with that. Uh, um, <laughs> it's intense. So Hebrews 11 is an interesting chapter, and we'll get to why it's interesting in a minute. But first, we're going to back up and talk about why Hebrews is interesting. Now, Hebrews, as opposed to all the rest of the books in the New Testament, is the only book that we don't have a credited author. All the rest of the, the epistles, and even the, um, the gospels, there is a person that was credited with writing them. We don't know who wrote the, the book of Hebrews. There are people have, people have theories, um, but we don't really know. I think it was a woman, honestly, because honest, there's 66 books in the Bible. One of them had to be written by a woman. Am I right? <laughs> so I'm going to say that it was Mary that wrote it. And you can pick your Mary, but it was Mary <laughs> that wrote, wrote it. And so that's one reason why it's, it's interesting. The other reason is that Aside from Paul and James and Peter and John, that's all the, the men, um, who wrote letters, Hebrews sort of comes at salvation history from the side. And so it's, 
it has a really different perspective on how to how salvation works. And so that's why Hebrews is interesting. That's why you should spend some time in it. It'll it'll make your brain a little bit weird for a little bit, and it'll make you do a whole lot of Bible study in the first five books of the Bible, um, because to understand what it is, because it's based a lot in um, Jewish law and religious history. So it's different in those ways. Now chapter 11 is, is interesting because if you've been around the church long enough, I'm sure you've heard this phrase in regard in relation to Hebrews 11. The hall of fame of hate, of hate. Hall of fame of faith. I need to take, drink some water. Um, sorry. Yeah. Hall of fame of faith. There, I can say words now. Um, which is a stupid title for this chapter. <laughs> and first off, so we know, I'm going to assume, and I'm on to you, that you know that the Bible wasn't written with chapters and verses. It just wasn't. It was written as regular letters, and then later, sometime in the 300s, some monk added chapters and verses to it. So the passage that we're working with, so chapter 11 is actually just the middle of a much larger thought that starts at the end of chapter 10 and ends in the beginning of chapter 12. So it's this bigger, bigger thought. And so chapter 11 is really just sort of like the meat and potatoes of the, of the whole argument. And, and it, but it really is about what faith is and what, what happens because of faith. Just because she, she writes about a, a bunch of people in it, it's not, she's not necessarily saying, these people are so spe spectacular because they had faith. She's saying, these people had faith and this was the result of it. Okay? So that's the first bit of that. But she doesn't get to her, her real point until the very end of chap chapter 11, of what we call chapter 11. And I actually printed it out because I wanted to make sure I got everything right. Um, she says, all of them, all of these people that I mentioned, um, who, you know, if I were doing Bible study, we would go through every single person mentioned in, the chap in chapter 11 because it's fascinating. Um, but we, we're not, and we only have a little bit of time. So we'll just say that they're all pretty cool, and you should go look, up the look them up on your own time. Um, yes, I do plan on being a professor someday, so I, I'm good at homework. Um, so, so she says, all of them please God because of their faith. So yes, they all please God. But they still died without being given what they had been promised. What were they promised? Is the question we should be asking at this point. Because it hasn't been, it hasn't been explicitly stated yet. And then she says, this was because God had something better in store for us. Wait, hold on a second. She just went from third person plural to first person plural. Now, if you're an English person, you know, the person that, that understands grammar, you know what I just, what the difference is there. And she changed it from being them to us. All of a sudden, the promise not just relates to them who died without it, but it relates to us who are still alive. Okay, so this transition is important in here. And then, and then the chapter ends out with this, because God has something better in store for us, and this last sentence is amazing, and God did not want them to reach their goal, reach the goal of their faith without us. So the goal of their faith is the goal of our faith. And so there's something about what they didn't get and what we're trying to get that is the same, okay? And the thing that's missing here, though, the context that we're missing here is that the goal of faith is not salvation as we know it. It's not heaven and hell. It's not 
that existential sort of fire insurance or, or heavenly real estate owning, right? It's something else. And the thing about salvation is salvation isn't about those things. It's about completion and wholeness and restoration. I got the word, yes. Um, because salvation is about restoring everything that God had created before that was somehow lost in sin. That's what's happening there. Okay, that's the point of faith. That's the point of the whole chapter, is that we, we're coming to this realization that God is restoring and completing everything. God hasn't done that yet. And so those people who lived in faith before haven't received the fullness of their promise because God hasn't finished restoring everything yet. Okay? And the yet is the important part there. Um, which then brings us into chapter 12. Now, here's the thing. I love Urban Grace. This is a great place. It's my favorite church that I've ever gone to. I've been to a few. Um, we use the CEV tra translation, and I'm at, I was asked if it was okay if we used it, and I said yes. But honestly, we should use the NRSV for one reason. 12.1 starts with the word, therefore, which is one of my favorite biblical words. Sounds stupid, I know. This is what happens when you spend way too much time in theology class. Um, therefore, or which one of my theology professors used to always say, or somebody um, used to always say, when you see a therefore, you always ask yourself, what is that therefore, therefore? Okay? You will remember that. I promise you. Every time you read a Bible and you see the word therefore, what is that therefore, therefore? Therefore is a connection word. And when you're doing logic, it matters because what it essentially says is, is because of all of that, all of this needs to be true. Okay? That, it's the connecting word. And they didn't put it in a CEV, and so I'm a little ticked with them, but we'll live. But it's that connection and there that matters. Okay? And so the way they write it, and I will do the way they did so, oh, I don't even like the words. Um, no, I got to do the NRC. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, oh my God, I'm sounding like a preacher. This is weird. Um, let us run with perseverance and cast aside the sin that so easily entangles. Right? When I was in high school, I ran cross country, and I love cross country. I, I did several sports at school. Cross country was my favorite sport, in large part because I got to do it by myself. <laughs> but also, it's a team sport, which is neat, okay? Because you get to do something by yourself, and you also get to be a team, which is fun, I guess. Um, and so, so the way cross country is scored is that, or at least the way we scored it in Maine, in, which doesn't means that it might not be real, but we scored it in Maine this way, and the, the first five people to, 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 to finish for your team, you, you add up the places that they come in, and that's the score of the team. So if you have, if you manage to get first, second, third, fourth, and fifth, you get 15 points. You win the, you win the meet, because nobody can get lower than that. It's lowest score wins sort of thing. It's golfish. Um, and, and so it's it's neat like that. Now, when I was in high school, I was a pretty quick runner, but I was never the fastest person on my team. Never. I was always fourth or fifth fastest, okay? And so, 
and I know that they do this this way out here too, is that you have the girls meet and the boys meet at the same time. And so like the, depending on the meet, the girls will run first and then the boys or vice versa, right? And so the neat thing about being the fourth or fifth runner is that you come around the corner to the straight, right? And you're running and you've got the entire girls team and three or four of your teammates all lining the route cheering for you saying sean finish fast right and so they're all up in your face as much as they can getting you to go and the neat the weird thing about being human is that when this happens and, and you're running a, a three mile race or so um two things are happening in your body simultaneously your body is saying i hate you you are the worst person to ever live you should die and your and your brain is saying tough Pooh. And then you suddenly do things that you shouldn't do. You run really hard, or really, really hard, and then about four seconds after you're done, you realize why that was stupid. Um, but you do it, and it's this crowd cheering you on to move on and go faster. And that's the picture that the writer of Hebrews is giving us in 12.1, is that we've got all these people, all the people in chapter 11, plus a bunch more right all the people that they couldn't mention there in this cloud of witnesses which is such a fantastic phrase that i wish they had put in the cev i'm sorry i shouldn't be beating on them so much they worked hard and they came up with something good but i just i'm too used to the nrsv this cloud of witnesses cheering you on to finish faithfully and they talk about and then she talks about how we need to cast off the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance this race. Now, the sin that so entangles, it's easy to think of like the big ones, right? Excuse me. Like, don't be murdering, bad idea. Don't be coveting your neighbor's spouse. Don't be stealing. Like, those things are easy. But I think that because we're talking about what does it mean to be a person of faith in 2022, there are some other ones that maybe we need to think about. Maybe because God called us to be good stewards of the earth, we shouldn't be driving cars that make four miles to the gallon, right? I think that maybe we need to rethink where we get our chicken sandwiches because they, one place doesn't support justice and equality. I think that there's something that we need to say about what does it mean to be a person of faith seeking justice? Because in, chapter, in verse two, the author she says is that we need to look at Jesus and the way Jesus persevered right Jesus went to the cross and Jesus was always pushing for justice and equality and and welcoming in the people that everybody else didn't and so maybe being a person of faith means stopping and thinking through what things am I doing that are helping that be better what things am I doing that are helping to increase justice in the world? What things am I doing that are not helping to increase justice in the world? What things am I doing that are helping to increase inclusivity and love of, and take away some of the, the bitterness of the world? Because these, if we're looking at Jesus and what Jesus did, it, there's, this, there's this old Eastern Orthodox phrase where they say, the life of Jesus is the work of Jesus. 
think I have that backwards. The work of Christ is the life of Christ. That's the right one. Um, and sometimes I think we, as Protestants, we get a little bit too tied into the cross. And we forget that Jesus had a whole life before the cross where he was demonstrating to us how to live as a person of faith. So maybe, maybe we need to think about what that looks like and realize that we have this whole cloud of all these people from that Reformation period that we talked about, oh, and so many more. We have Martin Luther King and Susan B. Anthony and Paul Krelich and Harvey Milk and Francis Bowman and Rachel Carson, all these people who lived and came before us, who lived lives of faith, really honestly thinking about what does it look like to be a person of faith now? Cheering us on to keep, keep on, even though some of this stuff is hard, and it's like when you come around the corner of a race and your body is telling you you suck and you need to stop. Uh, but this cloud is there, and they're cheering you on to live a life of faith that asks the hard questions and does the hard things. Now, for each of us, that's going to be a little bit different. And so we're going to have a little bit of a reflection time right now. And maybe you take some time to think about what that is. I think that we can find amazing answers if we stop and really think about what does it look like to be a person of faith now. <laughs>